Radhe. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare. Hare Ramo, Hare Ramo, Ramo Ramo, Hare Hare. All right, so it looks like Maharaj is joined. Hey, was that Sarvani? Yes, Maharaj. No, it's Abhishek. No, I, I mean, I can sort of tell you apart. But I mean, I mean, Sarvani was singing. <laughs> yes, Maharaj, it's me. <laughs> Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna, how are you, nice. Maharaj? Very good, nice to see you again. Yeah, you too, Maharaj. Sorry, I missed you last time. Yeah, we missed you. <laughs> so there's the Mina, the Mina Avatar. <laughs> Oh, Matsya Avatar, right, Matsya Avatar. <laughs> and there's Manju. Hey, Kishamraj. Jai, Manju, one of the more illustrious gurus of our time. <laughs> so, uh, nice to see everybody. And uh, I guess a lot of people are just waiting for the virtual prasadam. So... <laughs> So um, it's very nice to be back with you. So I'm going to begin where I often begin with El Diccionario, the dictionary, because Nitai Godasinder asked me to speak on Krishna's subservience to his devotees, right? So the first thing I'm going to do is look and see what the word means. It's the kind of thing where we know what it means, but if we look at the dictionary, usually certain things will come out. So subservient, prepared to obey others unquestioningly. The example, she was subservient to her parents. There, there, there's Manju right there. Or serving as a means to an end. The whole narration is subservient to the moral plan. So and let's see what the etymology is. So it's, it's from subservire or subserve, which is it's obvious what it means. Uh, sub means below, like a submarine below the water or subpar. <laughs> and, um, and serve, we know what serve means. It means to serve. Probably perhaps cognate with Sanskrit seva, serve in the Latin and then seva. So it means to serve from below or to, that you take a lower position. So then the question which Nitai proposed is, Nitai, you wanna repeat the, the question that you raised or the topic? Why Krishna become subservient to the devotees? Yes, exactly. You know, being an ISKCON guru is very stressful, so we tend to be heavy drinkers. So. <laughs> Hence the big bottle. So um, I made a few notes here, and uh, it's, it's an interesting topic. And so here are a few ideas I'll throw out, and then you can all comment. 
And after that, give me large donations. So um, just kidding, just kidding. I understand we're in hard times. So uh, for one thing, if you happen to be the supreme controller of everything, if you happen to be the supreme controller as Krishna is, that's just the way things worked out, then unless you facilitate people's desires, no, no one is gonna have free will. So if you just put those two facts together, fact number one, uh, Krishna is the supreme controller. He has absolute control. And fact number two, he gave us free will. So how do you, it's just like, for example, in a house, the children, uh, let's say the parents with little children, the parents have control, which gradually or quickly erodes as the children get older. But the parents have control. And then, um, and yet good parents want the children to grow up in a healthy way. I mean, emotionally healthy and to develop. And of course you can't develop unless you exercise your free will, unless you're able to observe and understand the relation between uh, choices and consequences and so on. So it, it's a pretty obvious point. Anyone who's successfully raised children and hasn't raised you know, little monsters or children who become, uh, anyway, or just, you, you know, someone leads their children to, you know, deep mental illness. So if someone has, let's say, been reasonably successful in raising children, then you know that it's a give and take. You have to, the goal is to have them develop as mature people who can exercise free will in a healthy, productive way, which will give the children a good life. And so, so Krishna is the controller, and yet he wants us to develop our free will in a positive way. Plus, he loves us. I mean, this is, I mean, imagine to, to appreciate fully or to appreciate deeply how great that is. Imagine we lived in some horrible dystopian world where God, there was a supreme controller who was just a supreme jerk. I mean, you could imagine such, it's kind of like living in certain countries nowadays, like China, but so, but imagine, in other words, there's a, to say that there's a God or to say Ishwara Parama, that there's a supreme controller does not necessarily mean that that supreme controller is a nice guy or is a good person. We can imagine a universe, we don't want to live in one, we can imagine a universe in which the most powerful entity or person is evil or just not nice. And that would be sort of like a worst case scenario. Like I said, it'd be like living in North Korea or something. And so the fact that Ishwara Parama Krishna, Krishna is the supreme controller, but also Satchidananda Vigraha, Krishna has a form which is eternal and uh, full of knowledge and bliss. And so does it follow? You could raise the philosophical question. Does it logically follow 
that someone with complete knowledge and uh, and bliss would be morally good. Does that follow? Is there something about, where's Manju? We don't see Manju. We have to get her back on screen. Okay, this way you can't multitask. So it's, um, the thing is that, is there something about knowledge? In other words, if you really understand life, if you really understand, if you understand reality, will you be a good person? Is it possible to fully understand things and not be a good person morally? Or uh, is there, which would mean that there's something about the nature of reality such that if someone understands it, that person will be morally good. Or let's take Ananda, bliss. Is, there, is it possible for someone who is morally deficient, who is not a good person, to experience true happiness? And so, and so these, these questions get us to the heart of what you could call ontology, which is the philosophy, the nature of existence. And it's interesting because it, it, it gets to a, a sort of a perennial philosophical topic, which Prabhupada addressed in one of his early pre-ISKCON Back to Godhead sheets, which was the, uh, the topic of truth and beauty. Is the truth beautiful? There are certain pessimistic philosophers who think that the nature of truth, if you really understand the world, you're going to be very depressed. And uh, I mean, the existentialists in Paris, people like uh, Jean-Paul Sartre, who is, I think, distinguished by the fact that he got a Nobel Prize in literature for getting almost everything wrong, which uh, shows you the uh, limitations of the Nobel Committee certainly back then. So anyway, this idea that there is ultimately no objective truth or beauty in the universe. We live in a universe that doesn't really care about us. And, uh, and therefore, you have to create your own meaning. Of course, this kind of led to one of the most uh, obnoxious trends in Western philosophy, postmodernism, the idea that everyone has their own reality, everyone has their own truth. Not really. You know, try that when you're driving. Let's say there's a red light, but your truth is that it's a green light, and which is going to radically reduce your life expectancy. So the idea that everyone has their own truth, of course, when I was young, that would kind of qualify you for government assistance in a mental institution. But now it's become kind of, yeah, actually good business for an Itai, right? So, but, but now, so this idea, how can you have your own truth? It's like, for example, right now, I am to the best of my knowledge in California, but what if someone says, well, my truth is, and let's say they're in the same place I am, but my truth is I am on the uh, third ring of Saturn. Again, uh, here's, uh, Nitai Gorsunder's phone number, give him a call. So, 
So anyway, these are these are actually philosophical questions. Is the truth beautiful? Is beauty true? If you let's say you see someone whom you think is beautiful, a beautiful person, either character or even just you know their appearance, their physiognomy. Let's say you just see someone whom you think is very beautiful. Is that objectively true? Are you just imagining that? Is that is that simply a subjective idea on your part? Does it does it does your idea that this person is very good looking, for example, or very attractive? Does that idea have any objective truth outside of your mind? And so this gets back to the topic of, of I was discussing of Krishna being Ishwara Parama Krishna Sachirananda. So if there's no objective truth to know, then what does it mean to be all-knowing? Because in that sense, everyone is all-knowing and no one really knows anything. But of course, that, that's a contradictory philosophy because if you say that there is no objective truth to know, the obvious question is, is that an objective truth? It's like, it's, it's a terrible philosophy actually, just technically, because if you say there are there is no great objective truth, then if that were true, that would be a great objective truth, that there's no objective. So therefore, it's an idea where if it's true, it's false. So an idea which, if it's true, is false, is basically babbling. It's just nonsense. If you say something which, if true, is false, you're not really saying anything. You're just, you're just basically crazy, as many modern philosophers indeed were. So... Therefore, is it objectively true? I'm, I'm trying to get at objective objectivity in an age with, in which some unfortunate people kind of declared war on the notion of objectivity, the only objectivity being their views against objectivity. But anyway, which is self-contradictory. So the question is, Krishna, does it follow that Krishna is all good or does the fact that Krishna has all knowledge, does that mean that he's going to be all good? Could someone know everything and be a bad person in the ordinary sense, like someone that, you know, goes around and, you know, kicks babies and, you know, just does all kinds of bad things. So can someone know everything and be morally bad? And of course, our perspective would be no, because if a person is morally deficient, they don't, there's something they don't know about the nature of reality. And the person, because everyone in choosing to act freely, whenever we act by our free will, which means when someone's not sleeping, which means someone is not being forced to attend a boring Bhagavatam class, because otherwise they would be sleeping. But anyway, so, so if, if someone can you know everything and be a bad person? We would say no, but then you have to work that out philosophically. Why is that the case? Could someone know everything and be unhappy? We know that in this world, sometimes a person may receive information that makes them unhappy, like you just lost a lot of money or someone you care about has left this world. And so their knowledge of certain things can make us unhappy. But, uh, but that's partial knowledge. Can you know everything 
and be unhappy? Can you know everything and not be a good person? And so therefore, I mean, the point I'm getting at is, and of course, this would take a whole book of philosophy, but the fact that Krishna knows everything, Satchitananda Vigraha, the fact that he knows everything, and the fact that Krishna is all blissful means that he's a good person because somehow these things are all connected. Goodness is related to happiness. Krishna explains that repeatedly in Bhagavad Gita, that the mode of goodness produces knowledge and people in the mode of goodness are happy. So goodness is a moral quality. Happiness is an emotional quality. And goodness is also a cognitive position. Because Krishna talks about knowledge, jnanam, in the mode of goodness. And he also talks about, that's 18, 20 through 22. For every Gita reference I give you, it's, it's separately billable. So Nita, you're keeping track, right? That's why I don't quote too much, because some of you may not be able to afford it. So anyway, in the Bhagavad Gita 1820 through 22, Krishna talks about knowledge in the different modes of nature. And he also says directly that knowledge comes from goodness. That because sattva, tatra sattva because tatra, I mean, sattva is nirmala. It's free of gross contamination. Therefore, it's prakashakam, which literally means enlightening. Prakashakam. Anamayam, and it leads to happiness. So somehow moral goodness entails cognitive clarity. And these are very interesting philosophical topics that moral goodness entails. That means automatically brings about or automatically, or must be associated with uh, cognitive clarity and emotional happiness. And so ultimately, there's this one reality, which is, you could say, has an emotional side, an, epic, an epistemic dimension, which means it has a, 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 a um, knowledge dimension. So it's... Uh, Emotional, it's cognitive in terms of knowledge, and it's epistemic in terms of knowledge, and um, and it has a moral dimension. So it's very interesting because somehow these things are connected. The moral dimension, the epistemic dimension related to knowledge, and the um, the emotional perspective, the emotional dimension, which is you know how you feel. And all these things are really different facets of a single reality, which we can call Krishna consciousness. And so if we get back to our free will and Krishna being subservient to his devotees, interestingly, I mean, there's a sense in which Krishna is subservient to everyone, although he's Ishwara Parama. He's ultimately, everyone is subservient to him because Krishna says in the Gita, Jajatamam Prapadyante, as people approach me, I reciprocate precisely. So in other words, Krishna is allowing every living being to initiate a reciprocal exchange in which Krishna lets every soul take the lead in defining or establishing what the level of that reciprocity will be. Oh, we're not recording this? I thought we were recording this. Where's Ananda Leela?
Maharaj, it is recording, Maharaj. Oh, it is recording. Yeah. And okay. it's live. Yeah, because these are this is actually serious philosophy, and uh, I don't want to say this all again. So, so therefore, um, Krishna, in a sense, I mean, he's subservient to his devotees, but actually, there's a broader principle of how Krishna relates to souls, which actually encompasses everyone. Because when Krishna reciprocates with his devotee, or a devotee, for example, like Yashoda, Damodarma, uh, uh, Yashoda wants to love, or she does love Krishna as her child. So Krishna says, okay, I'll become your child. But the basic principle there is reciprocity. But when Krishna vanishes from the mind of someone who wants to believe there is no God, the same universal principle is operating, which is reciprocity. So if you say to someone, I will reciprocate with you, and then you allow that person to initiate the reciprocation, and you simply respond to it accordingly, uh, you can call that subservience in the sense that some, you're allowing the other person to define what the relationship will be, at least at the moment. So therefore, you could say Krishna's subservience to his devotee is a, an example or a specific kind of dealing, which is within a larger category, which is Krishna's universal reciprocity with every soul, what, whether they are in the material or spiritual world. And so I would argue that Krishna's recipro universal reciprocity, because he says that. He says, that in all respects, entirely uh, living beings are on this path in which, in which they're engaged in reciprocation with me. Because even let's say a foolish person, like let's say an atheistic scientist, who in some ways is intelligent, in some ways is to be frank, a damn fool. But that scientist, they often use words like elegance, like it's an elegant theory, or they admire the uniformity, the, the regularity, the, the astonishing intricacy and, and, and the brilliance of just the material world, you know, how things are working, at a, whether it's at a you know, at level of, of microbiology or cosmology or whatever it is. And so that physical world with its astonishing regularity, intricacy, and even beauty uh, that they are in a sense dedicating their lives to, guess what? That's Krishna. That's Krishna. It's Krishna who establishes and enforces the laws of nature, the regularity of nature, which allows there to be such a thing for example, is medical science. Hey, Sarvani, we're, we're uh, medical science. So, uh, <laughs> so um, for example, the, uh, the fact you can do medical research for one simple reason, because our physical bodies and even our minds operate in a lawful way. There are laws of nature. 
that regulate these things. And that's why you can discover the causal chains. You can uh, intervene in causal chains. For example, a causal chain which leads to, let's say, some serious disease or, or psychologically a causal chain which leads to madness or to depression. And then you can intervene in those causal chains and divert them. Just like you, you know, and, and you can bring about a different result. And so that lawfulness is Krishna. Krishna does that. He says, Mayadhyakshena. It is by my suit, literally, you, I'll give it to you in Latin and in the Latin and Germanic forms in English. The Latin form in English, which is coming straight from Latin, is supervision. Super, which super means above, like super. So supervision, super meaning like above. And uh, actually, we still have traces of that through the French sewer, like surreal. But anyway, too much linguistics. So you can have supervision or you can have uh, the Germanic form would be oversight. Right? Vision is sight and super means over. Übersicht in German. So supervision or oversight, which is exactly the word Krishna uses in Sanskrit. Precisely the same word because he says adhyaksha. Aksha means sight or vision and adi means over. So adhyaksha literally means oversight or supervision. And Krishna says, uh, it is by my oversight, adhyaksha, maya adhyakshena, pra that, that prakriti, the material nature, suyate, literally is like producing, or nature is procreating. Like the word um, uh, sutta means sun, so it's from the verb su, which means to procreate, to produce. So a sun is called sutta, like nanda sutta. And so suyate, it is by my supervision, by my oversight, by my adi aksha, that nature is producing, begetting maya dhyakshena prakriti suyase satcharacharam. It's uh, all the living and non-living entities, or moving, actually moving and non-moving. So it's Krishna, Ishwara Parama Krishna. So everyone is worshiping Krishna. It is not possible to worship Krishna because what does it mean to worship? It means to give your allegiance to, it means to follow. And so anything, whether you're a scientist, whether you are an artist, whatever you're doing, you are pursuing, you are choosing by your free will, some aspect of reality. And that aspect is, is just Krishna's magnificence. Krishna, by the way, describes this in detail in chapter 10 of the Gita, where he concludes that bhuti whatever existence, he says, yad, yad. yad means what? And often in Sanskrit, when a Y, certain, when certain Y words are followed by, are repeated, duplicated, it means like ever, like yada means when, and yada yada, whenever. So yad means what and yad yad, whatever. So yad yad vi bhuti matsatam, whatever existing thing possesses mat vi bhuti, opulence, magnificence, power. And, and, and by the way, I'll, I explain in my Gita guide, infomercial alert. So the verb bhu in Sanskrit 
uh, means to be, to exist, or exist. And so, and uh, V, V means expand or separate. Anyway, I won't go into, I mean, we could talk for quite a while just on the prefix V, but so to make a long story short, V Bhuti means expansive existence. Apart, like for example, Sang, uh, sung means together, V means apart. So it can mean apart in the sense of getting it wrong, like you missed the target, as in V karma, or V, uh, but it can also mean to divide or separate in the sense of expanding. And so in that sense of V, V bhuti means expansive existence. And so Krishna explains, yad yad V bhuti mat satvam, whatever sattva, whatever existing thing has expansive expansive nature. In other words, srimat, it, it has beauty or opulence. Urjitam, it's powerful. Eva va, whatever. Tattareva. Tattareva in Sanskrit really means precisely in each and every case. That's how you would say in Sanskrit in each and every case. So tattareva avagacha. This is the end of the chapter 10. Avagacha means understand. So I'll tell you how it means because ava means down or downward and gacha means go. So in Sanskrit, that's how you say go deeply into it. So Krishna is saying go deeply into it. Go really penetrate the surface of it and see what it really is. So tatarev, in each and every case, you should go deeply and see that that is mama tejo angsa. It is just a, a, a um, angsha, means like a part, a particle, a part of my tejo, my splendor. So therefore, whatever someone is pursuing, atheism, theism, agnosticism, uh, material science, uh, poetry, photography, whatever anyone is pursuing, they're actually worshiping Krishna. It's just some people know it and some people don't know what they're really doing. So in that sense, again, Krishna is reciprocating with everyone because if he didn't reciprocate, you could not have free will. If you chose the blue pill, but Krishna shoved the red pill down your throat, obviously you wouldn't have free will. So, but then again, someone could say, well, but sometimes we want things, but don't get them. And the answer to that is that you get what you deserve. It's like you can go into a store and you can say it's a free country. So I'm just going to shoplift to my heart's content. Yeah, it's a free country, but things have price tags. And if you're not a lazy bum and, you know, and you work, then you can get a little money in your pocket and you can, you know, at least buy some of the things you want. So Krishna, same way, you know, earn it. Krishna allows you to choose, but you have to, if you don't earn it, you haven't really chosen it. If I say, let's say, for example, that I want money in the bank, because then I'll, you know, be more secure. I want money in the bank. And, uh, but at the same time, when I receive money or earn money, I, I spend it foolishly. And I can say, why isn't Krishna reciprocating? Because I haven't earned it. Or let's say I'm lazy. I'm, you know, let's, let's say I'm just a lazy, motive, ignorance person, and I, I don't really work. 
Krishna, there's nothing to reciprocate with because you haven't earned it. There are reasonable laws of nature. So you get what you deserve. Not that like that mindless nonsense that went around for a while. Well, that's too little information because there's so much, so many different kinds of mindless nonsense that become fads in the modern world. So that what's called the secret that you just desire something, you know, never mind deserving it, never mind earning it. What about a football game where both teams, you know, are into the secret and they're meditating on winning, but someone loses. So, so to say Krishna reciprocates means if you don't earn it, there's nothing to reciprocate with because you don't deserve it. So in that sense, Krishna is facilitating everyone and everything because he says in the Gita, Pitaham Jagato, I'm the father of this world, Mata and the mother. Gita feminism. So Krishna says, Pitaham Jagato, Mata and the mother, and the mother, Dhata, the creator, Pitamaha, the grandfather. Actually, we say grandfather in Sanskrit, you say father grand, Pitamaha. It's interesting little twist there. So anyway, so these are some of the things Krishna, he's subservient, but he's not. I mean, I mean, if, if we thought, for example, Krishna is subservient to Nanda and uh, Jashoda, as we sing that Jashoda uh, Bhya Lukalat Dhavamanam, that Jashoda Bhya, uh, out of fear of Jashoda, Ulukalat. Ulukala means the grinding mortar. So Ulukalat, from the grinding mortar, Dhavamanam, he was running, but Paramrishtam, he was caught. Atyantato Drutya, Gopya, he was caught by the Gopi. It's interesting. Yashoda, yeah, twice in, the, in, the, in this beautiful song, Yashoda is called the Gopi. The Gopis are also the older ones. So Paramrishtam, caught by the gopi, atyantato drutya, running, and anta means end. That's where we get the English word end, ant. And uh, so ati means beyond. So atyanta literally means like beyond limit. And uh, also you could translate like exceedingly, like exceeding, going beyond. So so Jasoda is running beyond limits. I mean, you know, Krishna was running, but Paramrista, she caught him. So does that mean that sometimes God is just out of shape or something, all those offerings? No, Krishna is reciprocating. Uh, but he's really, I mean, I mean, we should keep in mind that to say Krishna. Okay, recording in progress. Thank you. Now it's recording. You sure it was recording before? Anyway. Was it recording before? It is on Facebook. Oh, okay. As long as we have it recorded, I won't sue you. So, so the idea here is that Benitai may sue you because of his emotional anxiety when he didn't know. So, um, so the idea here is that when we say Krishna is subordinate to Jasoda, or, or the devotees more powerful than Krishna. We are speaking, this is a rasika satyam. This is a, a truth about a relationship. It's not an ontological truth. It's not that literally there has been some dramatic 
shift in cosmic power and Krishna is no longer the most powerful being. It's just like, for example, if, if a parent, a mother or father is playing with their child and whatever the child says, the mother or father does that to play with them, doesn't mean that ultimately the child is more powerful than the parents. The parents are still the parents. They still have control, but they're playing like that out of love. So um, in that sense, ultimately, if Krishna really was subservient to his devotee in every sense, then statements like Ishwara Parama Krishna would simply be untrue. And Krishna's statements, I mean, many statements in the Gita would be untrue. So I've noticed there's a tendency, some devotees, they kind of get a little, what's the technical word, wonky on this point, and they, they get a little too rasika for their own good. And um, they kind of, they get so rasika that they forget our philosophy and commit philosophical errors. So don't, you know, don't think, don't imitate Yashoda and Nanda Maharaj. Don't imitate the gopis. Don't think that I'm so rasika, I literally cannot remember Krishna's identity as God. God, Krishna, what are you talking about? So uh, this is obviously a rather pathetic imitation of great souls who actually do forget that Krishna is God. So therefore, certain statements are true in a Leela sense, a Rasika sense, they're very true, but they're not the ultimate philosophical situation, which is that Krishna is Ishwara Parama. Anyway, I think you got enough philosophy for your money. I mean, you know, you want to put more coins in the uh, more coins in the meter. I may get some other bright ideas. Oh, there's the Bhagavad Gita. <laughs> this is the book. Let yeah. me read something about what you talked about today. There's one paragraph. Krishna stated that he is a kind-hearted friend to all beings, that he reciprocates his devotees' love that to know him as a supreme person as to know everything and that he personally uplift those devoted to him. The cosmic form offers nothing of this intimacy. God's love for us, us all, eagerness to help us is grimly absent in the cosmic form. That's good. I mean, I hadn't really heard that since I wrote it, but it's uh, it's nice when you can hear something from your book and it doesn't embarrass you. <laughs> there's, a, there's a very practical book, Maharaj. Thank you so much. I'm really grateful to all the great souls of Vaishnavas who are reading it and using it. And uh, it's actually a great honor for me that I can serve the Vaishnavas in that way. So are there any questions? So my one thing is clear is Ishwara Paramakrishna, Sajidan and the Vigraha. So he's subservient, subservient, you know, I'm getting tongue twisted because he's kind-hearted. Yes, and, and he's it's like when a it's it's like when a let's say a father gets down on, you know, like a horsey and the child's on his back. It doesn't mean if the child says, Okay, Dad, now that we've established, you know, who's in charge here, I want you to sell this house. And, uh, you know, use all of mine to buy me candy or something. So, 
<laughs> so the you know the father is still the father, the mother is still the mother. So it's you know, but it's a pastime. Thank you, Maharaj. Wonderful. So any other anyone else have a question? Otherwise, I have another request for Maharaj. To Maharaj. No, no questions, no comments. To 40 minutes. Hemlada, you want to say something? Yeah. Hare Krishna, Maharaj Dalitanam. Hare Krishna. May I ask an off-topic question, if you don't mind? Yeah, let's try our luck. <laughs> my, my question is, we keep reading that Krishna and Krishna's holy name is non-different. I have a theoretical understanding of it. But practically, when I sit down to chant, I have to mechanically remind myself that Krishna is Krishna and Krishna's holy name are non-different. How do I get the actual realization that they are non-different? And then actually respect that non-difference and enchant attentively. Yes. First of all, I would say don't underestimate yourself. I would say it's not that you completely don't understand it. Because whether it's in Kirtan, whether it's in Japa, whether it's just sometimes crying out Krishna, I think all of us have experiences that chanting Hare Krishna is not like chanting ordinary names. And so, you know, we may not be having our most luminous day, let's say when you go to chant Japa, but I think you do have a basic understanding. And um, if, we, if we treat the holy name like Krishna, then the holy name will reciprocate with us. Because again, Krishna is reciprocating. So don't be shy, you know, ask the holy name to dance. You know, it's it. For example, sometimes like you know, people or you know, social event, and this, someone wants to ask someone else to dance, but they're kind of shy, or what if they say no? So um, with Krishna, uh, we hear from all the greatest authorities and from Krishna himself that he is present in his holy name, because after all, Lord Chaitanya. Nam Nam Akari is Krishna. Nam Nam Akari Nija Sarva Shaktis. So what he's really saying is that Nam Nam Akari Nam Nam Akari Nija Sarva Shaktis. So Sarva Shakti, uh, all the power of God has been placed. Akari is sort of this uh, nice little passive verb form in Sanskrit. So Akari has been placed in the names, Nam Nam Akari Bahuda, in many ways. And of course, Prabhupada takes this to mean like many names of Krishna, and, and it can mean that, but Da is sort of like manner, so Bahuda in many ways. And uh, so, I mean, in a sense, it means different names, like Prabhupada says, you know, Govind, etc. But also, it means that 
It also means that you have your own very personal, unique way. You have your own unique relationship with Krishna's names. Because ultimately you have a unique relationship with Krishna and the name is Krishna. So, nam nam akari bahudhan nija sarva shaktis. That's what Lord Chaitanya, it's interesting. He says that all of Krishna's energy is in the names. He doesn't literally say the name is Krishna, said, but all of Krishna's potency is there in the name. And tatrarpita, which means, and when, oh, and being invested there, arpita means bestowed or invested or offered. Tatrarpita niyamitak smaranena kala. And, you know, that's translated no hard and fast rules, but what Lord Chaitanya literally says is that since all of Krishna's own power has been placed in his names, plural, his names, uh, then the kala, the time, is not niyamita, it's not restricted. The time is not restricted, the time is not limited. It's not like, like, for example, if we chant Gayatri Mantra, we chant it three times a day. And, um, you know, you, you don't just chant it whenever you feel like it. It's regulated. That's a case of Niyamita Kala. Or, for example, the Damodara Masa, the Damodara Month, where we sing that very beautiful song. I mean, it's not that you can't chant it other times, but generally it's, again, Kala, it's Niyamita Kala that it's a time which has been, you could say, restricted or a time which has been designated, niyamita. And in many things, or for example, uh, janmastami, you can't say, well, we can celebrate janmastami every day of the year. I mean, you could, but that's just not the way it's done. We celebrate. And so if you think about it, there's so many activities we do According And it's also, uh, for example, Prabhupada asks us to chant 16 rounds. Uh, so, uh, of course, you can chant more, but most people, if they can chant 16, they consider themselves lucky. So, but Lord Chaitanya is saying that, and he says, he actually doesn't say chant, he says smadane, in the remembrance of the name. All these little details I find very interesting to see what is Lord Chaitanya literally saying. So as we know, smaranam is remembrance. And so he says that tatarpita, arpita, because, and arpita is with a long A, arpita, it means it's a feminine adjective, arpita, and it modifies the word shakti. So, and it's Nija Sarva Shakti. We would say in English, all his potency. But in Sanskrit, you can say his all potency. So Nija means, actually means his own, like his personal. It's not just like Swashakti, which would mean his or her potency. But Nija means like personal, you know, his own Shakti. And so all of Krishna's own power all of Krishna's personal power has been invested, has been placed. Uh, tatra, there, in those names. Tatra Arpita, 
So that Nija Sarva Shakti, all of his personal power has been placed there. Tatra, where is there in his name? So Nam Namakari Bahuda in many ways, placed there in many ways. Nam Namakari Bahuda Nija Sarva Shakti Tatarpita, and having been placed there in the names, it's very, I can't go into all the Sanskrit poetics, but the Shikshastika are just like miracles of beautiful composition. But Smarane uh, Nakala, the Smarana, Niyamitak Smarane, the time is not restricted in the remembrance of those names. It's very interesting because if you think about it, if you remember the names, oh yeah, Hare Krishna, so you may chant them, or you may remember them when you hear them. So in that sense, remembering is a broader category. Because when you chant, you remember. When you hear, you remember. When you read about it, you remember. So it's interesting that Lord Chaitanya used that word smarane. He could have said shravane or kirtane, but he used the word smarane. And I believe he used the word smarane because it's just, it's the broadest category. It includes shravanam. It includes kirtanam. It includes bhajanam. Not bhajan, which devotees say. Actually, they say, let's do bhajan, which means basically let's make containers, which is what bhajan means. So I know their intention is not like, let's go make some containers. But anyway, it's budgenum, like exactly like the English word budge, like I won't budge from this price. So it's exactly like the English word budge, it's budgenum, just in case anyone wow. is interested in what the words actually sound like. So anyway, smudane nakala, katarpita niyamitak smudane nakala. And then words, it's a tadrashitavakripa, bhagavan mamapi. Beautiful. I, so etadrashi, I'll explain what that word means. So etad means this in Sanskrit, tat or etad. You can say tat or you can say etad. And so, and drish is to see like darshanam. And so just like in English, you can say, let's say a, a friend, let, let's say a friend of yours went to a medical exam. And then, late, and then when the person comes out, you say, okay, what does it look like? How does it look? Right? It's a typical thing you say, how does it look? And so you don't mean literally like, you know, what does your body look like? But how does it look? What's the diagnosis? And so exactly in the same way in Sanskrit, you can say, how does something look? Or it looks like this exactly as in English, meaning what's it like? And so etadrashi tavakripa. So tavakripa, Lord Krishna, your mercy looks like this. Etadrashi, etadrashi. I think it's very, it's fascinating, isn't it? I mean, it's Sanskrit. So eta, which means this, drashi. So your mercy looks like this, literally. Or as we would translate it, such as your mercy. 
Etadrashi Tava, your Kripa, Bhagavan. And it's not Bhagavan, by the way. Bhagavan, with a long ah, means the Lord. Bhagavan, like fun, 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 you know, Bhagavan is a direct address. So he's saying, oh Lord. So it's not Bhagavan, it's Bhagavan. Uh, so that so he's saying, oh Lord, your mercy literally looks like this, or such is your mercy, O Lord. Even on me, because, I mean, if anyone deserves so much mercy, it's not me. So he doesn't say so much as your, your mercy looks like this on me, but even on me, even on me, your mercy looks like this. You've given such mercy. But my durdaiva, my misfortune, looks like that. So that uh, so idrasham, durdaivam idrasham. So he's saying etadrashi, your mercy looks like that, but my misfortune looks like this. <laughs> so I mean, literally. So it's translated that you know, such is your mercy, but such is my misfortune. So, in this life, such is my misfortune in this life, ajani nanuraga. Now, ajani, see, to understand the poetic perfection of Lord Chaitanya's composition, you have to understand that ajani is sort of a poetic passive past tense, which is the same tense as akari, nam nam akari. So by using the word akari and ajani, it's a parallel construction, which is comparing the power of the holy name and the misfortune of a humble devotee. And so akari and ajani create this comparison just as um, etadrashi and idrasham. So all these things are going on in terms of the poetics of this. And if we talk about the, the first Sikshastakam, it's just amazing. So etadrasham, that etadrashita kripa bhagavan mamapi durdaivam, misfortune, durdaivam. Durdaivam idrasham iha, in this life, ajani nanuraga that anuraga or a steady attachment, because you know, everyone has their moments. You know, someone can be kind of like a bum, but they may wander into a kirtan and just, I don't mean a bum in the sense of, you know, sleeping in the park. I mean, kind of not taking spiritual life seriously, sort of the colloquial sense of a bum. But you can, let's say, go and have a kirtan or eat some prashadam and just, wow, you know, you suddenly become blissful. So that's not what Lord Chaitanya is talking about. He's talking about anuraga. Anu means following or in the sense of continuously, like one after the other. So anu in Sanskrit can mean follow or therefore continuous. So anuraga means steady attachment, continuous. In other words, you don't just have, basically I have a miserable life, but I had a moment. You know, once I had a moment. He's talking about anuraga. And that's what the anuraga Ajani na does not take place. That yeah. anuraga 
is not, literally, ajani is not born. Is not born. English is kind of strange in the sense there's no uh, direct verb, which means to birth, to be born. You have to use kind of an is born, is past. Anyway, that's English grammar. So, but anyway, ajani, you all know the word jan, janma, means, you know, birth. And so, ajani means to be born and ajani na, it was not born, which in Sanskrit, the verb born often is used to mean arise, appear, and stuff like that. So, ajani na, anuraga, anuraga, continuous, steady attachment to Krishna consciousness was not born in me. And, and that is the way my misfortune looks. That is the look of my misfortune. Durdaivam idrasham. Beautiful verse, isn't it? So nam nam akari bahudhani chasarva shakti statarpita niyamitak smarane nakalad etadrashi tavakripa bhagavan mamapidur daivam idrashami hajani nanuraga. So, um, yeah, it's just, I mean, who but Krishna could write verses like that? So anyway, um, so what was the original question that kind of triggered me there? Question is, I don't have realization. Oh, yes, yes, yes. And yeah. Being well, here you are, though. I mean, here you are. And you're listening faithfully. And, you know, I think that shows that you are serious about Krishna consciousness. We've heard so many uh, pastimes um, that glorify Krishna's holy name. We personally experienced it uh, off and on, where just by calling Krishna's holy name, we get so much protection. But then we forget again, and then we, you know, again, we're back to square one. Uh, no, actually not. You're back to square maybe, you know, 732 or something. Because, yeah, I mean, technically you don't go back to square one and Narada Muni directly rejects the square one thesis in the Gita where he says, in the Bhagavatam, that's the verse Prabhupada used to often quote, that, um, how does it go, let's say having given up your ordinary worldly activity, Sharanam bujang harer bhajan. Sharanam bujam harer and worshiping the lotus feet of Hari. Taktuasa dharmam sharanam bujam hare. A pakvota. Pakwa is sort of an unusual past participle of the verb pach, which means to cook. So pakwa means cooked and also comes to mean ripened, like mature. And in uh, Bengal, they pronounce that pakka, which Prabhupada used to use. But actually, it's, it's from the Sanskrit pakwa, which means ripened, mature, or cooked. And so, bhajan apakvota, patetatojadi. If the person, he says yadi, if the person should fall down, which is literally what he says, if the person should fall down, because the person was apakwa, immature. Bhajan apakvota patita tojadi should fall down from that position. 
Tatra, they're in, in that situation. What abhadra is there? What bad, what, what, what evil is there? What abhud, amushakim, what evil came to that person? Actually, you know, something which is not discussed so much, but if you look at the Sanskrit, Narda is so emphatic, he uses two interrogative words, kwa and kim. What evil happened for that person? And he says, what? Like, tell me. That's really what it's like in Sanskrit. Like, this person gave up their ordinary activities, they became a devotee, and then the person was not yet mature and so fell down from that practice. But what harm came to them? What? Or, or he actually says, where? He says, where is the harm for that person? You know, what harm? So it's really very emphatic. Kwa and Kim, two interrogative verse. Tatra kwa bhadrama bhuda musha king and kwarta apto abhajatam. And for the abhajatam, for those who are not worshiping, where's the value? You know, what's their big prize? Okay, you didn't worship Krishna. So you just get, you know, you just go around again in this crazy material world. There, you know, so what's your prize? So the people who didn't give up worldly duties and from taha from their worldly duties, what did they really gain if you look at the big picture? So therefore, yeah, you Narda rejects the square one thesis. And Prabhupada always said that um, that whatever, in fact, Krishna says, I mean, Prabhupada's just obviously repeating Krishna. Krishna says, Neha Bikramanashosti. Na, not, Iha, uh, in this practice or in this life, na, Neha Abhikrama Nasha. There's no loss, Nasha, of Abhikrama, of your attempt, you know, to make progress. You're trying, Abhikrama, you are trying. And, and you're making effort, and there's no loss. Krishna says, na iha abhikrama nasho asti pratyavayo. And uh, pratyavayo means kind of like, you know, uh, what do they say? Uh, backfired. You know, because prati, prati means like going the wrong way. <laughs> you know, it's like against. And uh, pratyavaya. It means that something just like went south on you. And so pratyavayo navidyate, there's no loss, there's no diminution. It's not going to just, you know, end up, you made a big mistake. You could have spent the same time more profitably, I don't know, you know, selling something or, or doing something or taking dance lessons. So, so Krishna says, Neha Bikramanashosti Pratyavayo Navidyate Sualpam. You know the word alpa, like they say alpa, alpa. So, so su, su means very. Sualpam, very little. Asya dharmasya, very little of this dharma, Krishna consciousness, even very little, actually a P. Sualpam, a P, even very little of this dharma, literally what it says. Suapam api asya dharmasya trayate, it saves one. Trayate, it saves one. Mahato bhayat, from the maha bhaya, from the great danger. 
Vaya means fear in Sanskrit, but it also means the cause of the fear. In other words, danger. So it saves one from the great danger. Therefore, I mean, uh, yeah, you do not go back to square one. You do collect $200, like Monopoly, you know, go back to go, do not collect $200. So you do collect $200 and much more. And everything you are doing is being stored in your spiritual piggy bank or, you know, bank account. And so it's just like when I was a little kid, I remember my parents, every, they had four sons. And every time a child was born, they opened a little savings account. Remember they used to have savings books and everything, pre-digital world. They would open a savings account in the name, you know, with, with the beneficiary being that child and it was for their future education. I think, you know, good Indian families, they're like that. I mean, so literally from birth, my parents were already planning for my education. And so I couldn't touch the money, I couldn't spend it, but it was for me. And so maybe right now, Krishna's not letting you spend it. You know, so you I mean, because sometimes we could be like a drunk on payday. So therefore, Krishna is not letting us spend it, but it's in your bank account. There's definitely a bhakti punya bank account in your name. Krishna is your legal guardian. And therefore, the account is in his, you know, he's, watching it, but it's there. So every good thing you've ever done, every time you ever said the word Krishna, every little bit of service you did, every prayer, it's all there in your savings account. And if we go through some hard times, it's because that's best for us. A loving, intelligent parent does not do anything to the child, which is not actually for the good of that child. And if something was objectively better, they would do that. And so, yeah, so don't worry. Keep trying. Oh, yeah. I mean, what's the alternative? You know, destroy your life. So it's, um, yeah, there's nothing else to do. There's nothing else to do but to keep trying because we cannot in any other way achieve our ultimate self-interest. There's literally nothing else to do but Krishna consciousness. It's just that there's still a few people on earth that haven't understood that. There's nothing else to do. And of course, you can you know, pursue your life according to your varna, an ashram, that's everyone does what's natural for them. But, um, but in terms of your goal, your ultimate goal, there is no other goal except Krishna consciousness. Maharaj, thank you. My pleasure. Maharaj, so the next topic will be, we'll discuss the Shikshastika. Oh, Shikshastika, yeah, that is an amazing, because they're really next, are beautiful. Next month, maybe we'll start one, one, one shloka, one one a month, and so you'll see how that yeah. goes. I'll give, I'll give you a good deal on your time. Yes, well, thank you. Because if you, if, if you take all eight, obviously you're going to get a better price. <laughs> <laughs> we will negotiate, Marat. Yeah, I know. Marat, can I ask you one more, uh, Trevor? Sure. 
Can yeah. you lead us in Damodarashtra? You finish your program with Damodarashtra. Okay, I did it once today, but I can, is it pious to do it twice? All right, so we'll do it, but uh, let's sing it together. But we, everybody will mute, Maharaj, otherwise, yeah, we'll sing it. Oh, yeah, everybody can unmute and, you know, and we'll see how much divine static we can produce. Mute or unmute, Maharaj, mute. You'll yeah. sing, you lead and we will. Okay, like okay. If anyone, yeah, if any, well, if we unmute and anyone's off key, then Manjuri will <laughs> note that and she'll be calling you later. <laughs> thank you, Maharaj. Okay, thank you. Ready? Namami Sharam Satchit Anandarupam Lasat Kundalam Gokule Vrajamanam Jashoda Viyolukalatavamanam Param Ristam Atyanta Todrutya Gopya Rudantam Muhur Netra Yugmam Rajantam Karam Boja Yugmena Satanka Netram Muhukshasa Kampa Tri Rekankakanta Stita Graiva Damodaram Bhakti Baddham Yeti Drik Swalila Vir Ananda Kunde Sagosamni Majantam Akyapayantam Tadiyeshi Tagyeshu Bhaktarjita Twam Punak Prematastam Satavritivan Dev Varang Deva Mokshangna Mokshavadin Vam Najanyam Reneham Vare Sharapiha Idante Vapurnata Gopalavalam Sadame Manasyavi Astam Kimanyai Idante Mukambojam Atyantanilai Britang Kuntalais Nigda Raktais Chagopya Muhus Chumbi Tang Bimba Raktadarame Manasyavirastam Alang Lakshalabhai Namo Deva Damo Vishno Prasida Prabhoduka Jalabdi Magnam Krapadrishti Vrishtyati Dinam Vatanu Grihanesha Mamagyam Edhyakshi Drishya Kuveratma Jauvadha Murtyaiva Jadvad Toyamochitao Bhakti Bhajau Kritaucha Tata Prema Bhakti Sakame Prayacha Namokshe Grahomesti Damodareham Namaste to Damne Purati Damne Padi Yodarayata Vishasya Damne Namoradi Kayai Padiya Kayai Namonanta Lila Yadeva Yatubhyam 
ಅತ್ಯಂತ ಹರಿಯೋ